Welcome to the Financial MD Show. This is the only podcast designed specifically for residents and young physicians to help you become educated on financial planning for physicians and avoid many of the common financial mistakes doctors make. Your hosts, John and Trevor, explore a different topic with each episode. John Salitro is a financial planner and certified financial education instructor. He's been working with young physicians for the better part of a decade and lectures to graduate medical programs around the country. Dr. Trevor Smith is a board-certified ophthalmologist with a full-time practice, and he has learned the ins and outs firsthand, what it takes to make smart financial decisions as a young physician. And now, here's your hosts, John and Trevor. Welcome to the Financial MD Show. We've got an exciting show for you today. Well, it'll be an interesting show anyway. I'm here with my ever-present partner, Dr. Trevor Smith. How are you, Trevor? Doing well, John. Good to see you. Yeah, you too, buddy. Excited to be back in the saddle and back on the mic. And we're coming in hot with all sorts of things on our minds. And we'll try to give you some good financial info that's going to help you. They might not be necessarily connected topics, but we're going to talk today and you'll get to listen to our thoughts and expertise in different areas, but hopefully you can walk away with something that'll help you out just by spending a few minutes with us. So today on the Financial MD Show, uh, we're going to touch a bit on some market commentary about what's been going on as of today's recording. It is May 16th and it's been a rough year, pretty much every sector or stocks, bonds, crypto, whatever you want to talk about, there is nowhere safe. So, except, except commodities, if you bought them last year. That's right. And we'll have to probably educate some people on what commodities are, but that's okay. <laughs> that's the point of the Financial MD show. So as of today, at any given point in time, S&P 500 is down probably 15%, give or take, from its high in December. What does that mean for you? Most of you listening to this are young physicians and that really means nothing to you and if you're a resident and you're putting money into a roth ira or you're saving into your residencies 403b or 401k keep doing that like at the end of the day if history tells us anything it's a great time to put money into the market i'm just gonna be honest that's we need to chill out and if you're older and you're listening to this kudos to you for finding podcasts and you're probably a little more concerned and maybe rightly so, but if you were aggressively invested, meaning if you had a lot of your investments in stocks and Bitcoin or whatever, then you knew this could happen. And that's always a possibility. So let this be a lesson to you. This, this is why we say aggressive because it's, it's risky. This is what risky means. And Mm -hmm. even this isn't drastic. I mean, it was worse during pandemic worse in 2008. Could it get? We're still sure. Um, we can talk about recession, but there's really between stocks, bonds, crypto, like all of those things. What's causing this? In the stock market, at least, I can speak to that. And then Trevor's going to touch on Bitcoin and just kind of state of the Bitcoin address. Things are weird as we're coming out of the pandemic and recovering from that. Some of the big companies that really had some gains last year, your Zoom, your Amazon, your different things, I've had to pull back because they haven't had the same scenario it's not the same atmosphere we're getting back to the quote-unquote normal people are going back to the office zoom isn't used as much peloton's not being used as much you know all these things that are hitting some lows that are affecting the market and the interest rate increase i think is 
leading to a lot of this. You'll probably see it affect the housing market shortly, not as drastic as buyers want it to, but some. And we may be looking at a recession, which means two consecutive quarters of negative GDP and gross domestic products, basically the country's going down for two consecutive quarters. That means a recession. Now, again, we'll get through it. We have every time this has happened before. It's not a great depression type of scenario, but just be prepared that that may be a thing. And I'll just say it. I said this three years ago that the feds needed to start raising interest rates. The economy was doing well. I didn't know why they were waiting, but you'll probably all say it's because of politics and you're probably right, which just is one of those frustrating things that pisses me off when politics get in the way of this is people's money. This is mortgages, it's people's livelihood. And the Federal Reserve is supposed to be a fiduciary, meaning, I don't know if they're technically a fiduciary, but like their job is to handle things like inflation and interest rates and all those things. And then they come in like they have recently and jump them drastically, which we see it in reflection in things like mortgage rates that go from 3% up to 5.5%. It's insane. And it just hurts, I think, the average consumer. So I think they should have raised rates years ago. We still would have gotten some inflation, but it would have been as drastic. And we still would have had interest rate increases, but it would have been more gradual. And so this is them being reactionary because they didn't want to raise them during an election year, right before an election year or all those kind of things. So that stuff just kind of pisses me off. So we could be heading for recession, increased unemployment, high inflation, things like that. You'll see this concept called stagflation which means rising prices without rising income. And that's a thing. So who knows, but that's my explanation for why stock markets looking like they have bonds have been doing poorly because when you look at current bonds out there, they weren't paying great interest rates. And then when the federal reserve raises the interest rates that these bonds are paying, that makes current bonds out there look even worse. So they lose value. So there's just, no place to get any steady rate of return right now. And then some of you guys have been watching Bitcoin or Ethereum or any crypto. Trevor, can you speak to that at all or what the, you know, what your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in my circle, people know that I'm a, I'm a Bitcoin fan, right? So I often get the question, why did the Bitcoin price do do this or that? Mm -hmm. I'd say first, it's, it's interesting that people, we talk about price with Bitcoin because really it's an exchange rate. Like it's another, it's another yeah. currency, right? Yeah. So it's really, it's really, it's an exchange rate, but we think of it as an investment. So we talk a lot about price. Bitcoin is one of the most volatile assets out there. It goes up and down a lot. That is what it means for it to be volatile. So usually I just say Bitcoin's just being Bitcoin. That's how it works. It's a true free market. So it really follows the, the psychology, the human psychology of markets very, very closely. You can Google image search the human psychology of markets and see a very obvious trend of what spikes and troughs look like. And they don't always match up, but like the 2018 cycle matched up pretty well for how fast it went up and the pace and the ups and downs even along the way. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of doing one of those things where, or, you know, why did the price go down? Like the answer is there's more sellers than buyers. Like that's, that's the reason. Mm -hmm. And uh, it doesn't get propped up in the same way. If there's a lot of selling in the stock market. They'll actually like halt trading. Yep. If, it's, yep. if it's going up too fast in the stock market, they'll halt trading. Yep. And they just, it's a really manipulated system. And the idea there is just to control volatility because 
then investors, you know, they don't get nervous or buy too much or sell too much. And there's some good intentions there, but it's not truly a free market. So Bitcoin's going to be inherently more volatile because it's a global free market. It's yep. pretty much the last free market. These other cryptocurrencies can be manipulated. That is absolutely true, just based on the size. And then it's based on who controls creation of new coins. So similar to the Fed in the US, the Federal Reserve prints yep. money. Yep. I don't get to print US dollars. They get to print US dollars. Mm-hmm. But with these alternative cryptocurrencies, non-Bitcoin, some would call them unregulated securities because you're creating a token and then you're you're raising money potentially from other people and then you're, you're you can sell it on an open market. Regardless, that's not really been forced totally by the SEC, so that's to be determined, but um, those are more manipulatable because they're centrally controlled and their supply is controlled. So if I made a new currency and I had 50% of it sitting here in my house and then I sold a bunch of it to other people and then I gave it to some people and then more people wanted it because they thought my business model of how I was going to somehow use this makes a lot of sense. First to go up, now I have this 50% pile here and everyone else is buying, buying. I can just sell as people are buying it. So it's called people would say like selling into retail or selling into right. bull market or whatever it is. It's not full on like pump and dump. Even the name doesn't even matter. But if you're pumping it and you're selling your own, I mean, that is kind of the definition of a pump and dump. So that is where you'll see the legitimacy of a market is, is oftentimes seen in the downturn. And uh, what happened in the 2018 cycle after the big crypto top of 20, end of 2017, early 2018, is you saw 95, 99% drawdowns in these alternative coins, cryptocurrencies. And if you have a similar bear market, which we're pretty much undoubtedly in for Bitcoin and other digital assets, yeah, it's going to get rough. It's probably going to get, if you haven't been through it before, you know, it's rough. I don't feel it emotionally after being through it before. Part of that is because experiencing how unregulated all these alternative coins are, it's not that there's no value in them or that there can't be another, you know, new thing in the future, but Bitcoin is very well established. So for me, I don't have to really worry too much about that portion of my holdings because I understand it. I know what it is. I know that it it does these quick highs and lows. And yeah, I'm not in it for the short term. And that mental framework translates to uh, not being too stressed out about it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. If you know the purpose of it, why you chose the investment you did or the strategy you did, whether it's Bitcoin or stock market or whatever the case might be. And Mm -hmm. it all comes back to that same concept. I think that's a great reminder. So there was another event too. Should I tell them about the Luna thing we were talking about? Yeah, I think that's worthwhile. Explain what that means. There was this company that came along. I'll I'll try to keep it as brief and digestible as possible. And you can listen to other podcasts or check out on Twitter. But there's this company called Luna and they had this, their goal was to create an algorithmic stable coin. So we're getting into the weeds a little bit already. So we'll just say like they create these coins that are supposed to match the price of the dollar and you can trade in and out of them. And it's just faster. It's more efficient than sending your dollars around. And the idea is like, if you think Bitcoin's going to go down, you could sell into this, this coin and it's just a little bit faster than really settling out into true US dollars. And then the real trick, the reason people were buying this is because you could go onto a certain platform and you could get a 20% yield on your stable coin. So you've got, it's this feeling, this idea of 
I can take my US dollars. I can not have the volatility risk, literally none, ideally, sit in a stable coin and earn 20%. It's like if you could earn 20% on your cash that you put under your mattress, it's kind of that similar feeling that people would get about this. It feels secure. And then the question is, what is that backed by? Well, Luna kind of tapped into the Bitcoin safety, you know, the stability of Bitcoin that people like, which non-Bitcoiners would, would laugh at. But uh, in the in this space, Bitcoin is, you know, seen as a true long-term store of value. So yeah. if it's backed by that, people kind of like that. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So now it feels extra safe. Oh, and plus they're buying Bitcoin as people put more and more US dollars in there. And they're kind of like matching it up and they're going to use Bitcoin as their, their reserve. They're kind of like this idea of a Bitcoin standard rather than a gold standard. So they've got this narrative. It sounds pretty nice. And plus you're, you know, earning a 20% yield. And people, when they're earning a 20% yield, don't always ask as many questions as they should, right? You'd think so, you would at 20%. Like, doesn't that sound a little too good to be true? In the, in the Bitcoin space, in the, in the digital asset space, of the, it's a little unclear as to how, you know, it works until one of them blows up. Mm -hmm. So what happened in this one is they got a bunch of people in and they had about $70 billion, I believe mm -hmm. is the number of okay. value. This in the last week this is what people would have read. This got erased all the way down to about two. So how did that happen? The way they were backing the coin. So like if I bought hundreds of millions of dollars in the stable coin and then I decided to sell it, they would have to be able to back that up to trade like dollars. That's the dollars. definition of a stable coin, right? Yeah, right. So they have to match it up. So if you exit it, you know, when you trade one thing for another, there has to be like a shift. They're backing it up with their own coin that they made called Luna. And then their reserves were some in Bitcoin as well. So somebody decided very, it's very obvious how they would do this. I guess people were publishing articles on how you could basically attack the system and break it. And somebody went and did that. So they shorted Bitcoin to bring the price down and they shorted Luna and then and they sold this stable coin. So mm -hmm. when they sold a bunch of the stablecoin, it had to be switched out for something like Luna and Bitcoin. But as Bitcoin was losing value this last week and yep. Luna was losing value, now the thing that they had to kind of like hold that stablecoin at a dollar uh, no longer had, they didn't have enough money to back it up. So people were trading out of it and they couldn't like trade them back. They basically were like, it was like a bank run. They couldn't make these people whole. So yep. as they couldn't make them whole, as they tried to exit, the value of, of that currency dropped dramatically. Mm -hmm. And in a matter of hours, it went from basically worth a dollar worth worth nothing. It was kind of associated with Bitcoin. So maybe that news got misinterpreted and then Bitcoin went down a little bit further. Irrelevant. I mean, Bitcoin's volatile, but this was a specific attack on Luna is what failed in that scenario and, and not Bitcoin. And it should be reason for everybody to be very, very cautious for any of these new projects for things that have too good to be true yields. And there's also a lot of big name folks that were involved in the project, frankly, should know better. Anyways, it's good, good reason to be cautious. The whole YOLOing approach to this space is, is not wise and know what you're buying. I mean, know what you're buying with stocks, with a diversified portfolio, this is your money. If you're investing it's ultimately your responsibility. You can have a great guide like John here and he'll help you. And it's still ultimately your responsibility to understand what you have and what you're buying and creating your own plan and your own reasons for having what you're, what you have. So. Yeah. And full disclosure, if you are simply looking for Bitcoin advice, I would contact Trevor.
<laughs> not financial advice for me, but I'm happy to discuss the technology and the features and how about Bitcoin consulting? How about that? Sure. No problem. <laughs> I think that helps a lot. I mean, that was the gist of what we wanted to mention today is some reasons for what's going on in the market. And some of you are staying on top of that. Some are you, I think most of our listeners know what's going on, but I wanted to have us come in and give some perspective on the various markets of why. And ultimately, not to panic, but I think to Trevor's point too, like know why you're getting into what you are. This YOLO approach or just whatever is when you're getting into something that is potentially risky or volatile, fine, if that's money you can stand to lose. But if you're investing your life savings or retirement savings or whatever the case might be, just everything's got to have a purpose. We talk with our clients about at a certain point, we put together an investment philosophy statement, which basically says, regardless of the market or our emotions or whatever, we want these guidelines to guide what my family, my company invests into and why. And so it just helps to maintain some stability, at least of emotion and thought through ups and downs. Be aware of that. I think long-term investment strategy doesn't change. This has happened before. It'll happen again. We are certainly in unique times in terms of, it's hard to say, gosh, where can I turn to to find stable growth? I don't know. But where most of us are just staying the course because we had a strategy and a plan and this doesn't change that. Anything else to add to that, Trevor? No, I don't have anything else to add to that. Yeah, I'll just share a little bit of my own personal yeah. strategy that I'm obviously into Bitcoin and I am heavily weighted in that in my portfolio. I won't say you know exactly how much unless yeah. I set up before, which which I may have. <laughs> I'll just use it as an example for the purpose of having a specific asset or equity or stock in your in your portfolio or, or combination there, ETF, whatever. Mm -hmm. When you know something's going to be volatile, you want to size it appropriately. And if you think Bitcoin is going to 10x in five years, which I think is totally possible from a point of 30,000, could be wrong, but that's kind of like my my thesis. So 10x from here in five years, I would totally consider that reasonable. So if I have 10% of my net worth, let's say in that, and we get a 10x, well, that'll be that portion of my portfolio will now be 100% value, right? I don't need to have, you know, 90% of my wealth, an asset that I think is going to go up really high. And if I know it's volatile, and it could drop in half or 80%, then I can tolerate from 10% down to 2%. My overall portfolio could drop good 8% or something if it goes down 80-80%. And for me, being 35 and losing 8% of my net worth is not a big deal. It's not going to ruin me. It's not going to affect my, my payments. And I am not YOLOing into any sort of investment. I'm looking at this soberly knowing it's going to suck when I see it go down. And I'm going to put in 10% because... 10x should be plenty good for me, you know, and having a 100% return over five years for my entire net worth would be ridiculous. That'd be amazing, especially in the current, the current inflationary world we live in. That's great. That's going to keep up with inflation. And, you know, that's one of my goals. And I only have to really quote unquote bet, you know, stand to lose 10% of my net worth. My dad's like at retirement. Do I want him to have, you know, 50% of his net worth in Bitcoin? No, that'd be crazy. If yeah. it drops down by 80%, then he could lose 30, 40% of his net worth. Um, that's too much. You know, that that's irresponsible, unquestionably. Mm -hmm. But 5%, 2% Bitcoin, and then it and then it 
10 X's and then now he's got a 20% boost with such an extremely low risk. That's where it's valuable and um, it's outside of the current system and the Fed can't print in a way that can manipulate Bitcoin as much, although it's a liquid asset. It's going to be affected at least in the short term. But yeah, so just to land the plane on that, with that in mind, leverage is an interesting thing. So you can have 100% net worth, but if you leverage your money, you actually can have a higher percentage than 100. So you could potentially, you can invest like 120% of your net worth mm-hmm. if you have 20% leverage. And people are like, well, that sounds crazy and blah, blah, blah. Well, most of you are doing that because you have a home. So yeah. it's balanced out by the debt. But if the value of your home goes down, then you are actually leveraged above. So let's say you've got 100% net worth and then you borrow against the home and you get a $400,000 loan for a $400,000 house. So you're still mm-hmm. at 100% because those, those cancel each other out, right? Yeah. If your yes. house value drops in half and you've got now $400,000 you owe and $200,000 of house value left yeah. and you've got a million dollars, well, now you just lost really, now you're minus an extra 200,000, right? So you've got 1.2 in assets and you have, help me on this this math here, but you have $400,000 loan. So now you're at 800,000. So you're, yeah, it's right about 20%. People might not be leveraged right now, but depending on what you own, you could be. So with that same kind of thing in mind, I have student loans and I've been investing. So there's always that discussion. Should I be investing or should I pay off my student Mm -hmm. loans or a little bit of both? Personal decision, talk with the financial advisor and then scope it out, maybe two different directions, know where you're headed and pick the one that sits well with you. Well, Recently, what sat well with me was I'd like to kind of deleverage. Like I'm basically, when I'm making payments and I'm investing at the same time, it's almost like I'm borrowing to invest that money because I'm effectively not paying off the loan. You can do some mental gymnastics. My loan was at like a 5% rate. That's not too bad. You know, with inflation, some people would say borrow that money all day long. And there's been times where I felt that way. I'm going to keep doing it. And I was just like, you know what? There's a peace of mind I could just feel myself desiring and mm-hmm. I wanted to pay it off and I had the funds. And then looking at the environment of recession, potentially, I did this before where, I, you know, a year ago, all my assets were up a lot higher than they are now because those volatile assets. And yeah. I could have paid it off with a smaller percentage of my net worth than I had to do this last week. But mm-hmm. I just thought, you know what, that percentage of my net worth, I would have to sell to pay this off could double again in the next year if things keep going down. I just wanted to deleverage myself and have that peace of mind. And so I decided to pay off. I still have some student loans remaining, but I paid off a really about 50% of what I have, what I owe. And that lowers my monthly payments and makes the cash flow more comfortable. It allows me to more conservatively pursue the career that I want to have. So I just, I don't feel as limited by that. And that was my financial decision. So, And sometimes I recommend that when it yeah. comes to, I usually, in the interest rates we've had in the last several years, have said, don't pay off your loans early. We can get a much better rate of return in the market or in investments, whatever. Mm-hmm. But there have been times when I knew it was had to do with a person's emotional well-being or we had a client that was really hated their job, hated where they were at, just a bunch yeah. of stuff. And it was affecting mm-hmm. his family. And I just said, hey, man, I think you're going to be happier if we switch 
alter course a little bit and try to aggressively get these loans paid off. Then you can move, you know, because he was thousand miles away from home mm -hmm. where he grew up and he's trying to raise a family away from his parents and their family and stuff. So it's like all these things that I've been a financial planner long enough to say, well, and a therapist for a little bit to say, yeah, I think you're going to be better served. The dollars and cent, the numbers aren't going to make sense, but mm -hmm. it's your happiness and emotional well-being just outweighed the numbers, right? And like, if you can't do stuff like that and you're making money and you're saving money, like, got to remember, like, what's the point of the money, right? Yep. It's not just to get more of the money. Yep. <laughs> it's yeah, it's right. you want to preserve your what end? power. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, part of it, I was like, well, what am I, I've sacrificed yeah. lots of, you know, emotions, learning and investing in a volatile market and assets and taking on lots of debts and stuff. It's like, you know, yeah. I've, I've paid the price for this and uh, I need to, occasionally you just need to reap the rewards and yeah. I'm not going out and buying a car. I still like driving my, my old used cars. Mm -hmm. They're great, but this was, this is a big goal and I don't regret it at all. And then the market dipped 25%. So that was a particularly satisfying. I don't think that usually happens. Yeah. But I was like, well, there you go. Yeah. I yeah. would have otherwise had to just wait, you know, another year yeah. or two, because I'm not going to sell down at that. I'm not going to sell at the bottom, but selling in the middle, you know, the middle-ish. That's yeah. all right. I can get on board with that. All right. Well, I think that covers it for today. Trevor, thanks for sharing. Your perspective is always valuable and appreciate you doing this with me and uh for the rest of you out there in financial md world just keep at it one day at a time stick with the plan if you're unsure consult your financial planner find somebody you like and you trust and you feel like has your best interest in mind you know how to reach us at financialmd.com we're coming out with new didactic minute videos every week kind of blowing up on TikTok and instagram so if that's convenient for you follow there otherwise we're still always on facebook and youtube for the video piece but if you haven't yet shared the financial md show please do if you care about somebody you'll share the financial md show get this information out to as many people as possible and uh, share the love subscribe on itunes and spotify and google other than that until next time it's john salitro saying goodbye and dr trevor smith we'll see Thanks, you next sir. time good to see you john bye all right see you later Thanks for joining us for another Financial MD show. Be sure to head over to FinancialMD.com to get more in-depth resources on financial tips for physicians. And don't forget to join the Financial MD community group on Facebook, where physicians at all stages of their career gather to share tips and get ideas on achieving true financial success. We'll see you next time. The Financial MD show is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to invest, is not financial, tax, or legal advice. Be sure to seek financial, legal, or tax professionals when making any financial decisions. Before investing, you should make sure that any investment strategy or investment meets your individual investment needs, goals, and objectives. Financial MD makes no claims or guarantees to individual investment performance. All investing involves the risk of loss as well as the potential for gain.